Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. This is a new episode of Bragging Rights. I'm your host, Phoebe, along with my co-host, Joe. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) I am back from, well, we're back in general, just doing a show. I'm back physically from the Philippines, though, as you can probably tell with my voice, I am recouping from getting sick, Um, and I feel like I'm always sick, so I'm like, Fine. I'm gonna look up how to build up my immune system because I'm tired of this. But uh, yeah, no how are you gonna, doing? No one's gonna be able to uh, recognize your real voice anymore because uh, <laughs> you, you have this nice little sick tone to it. <laughs> that is true. How are you doing? I have been well. Um, it's nice today. Finally. The rain has finally stopped. We got sunshine today. I can't wait to get out there. Yeah. Uh, Wait, really? Where? Where? Oh, I don't care. I'm just going to go walking today. Uh, The the sky is absolutely cloudless where I'm at. Okay, because I was like, where are you talking about? Because they ain't here. (laughs) But um, it's not. You really don't have... uh, our sky is I mean, blue I don't down think here so. in Yelm. Uh, let me let me move to another location in this place and see what. Nope, nope, definitely no sun. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, it's, it's overcast for sure. So I mean, yeah. The funny thing is, I was in the Philippines during the hottest time of the month, and you know, I gained like a bazillion pounds. I mean, because <laughs> you're eating rice like every. Meal, rice this, well, rice that, rice every. That's what you do when every... you travel, though, right? Right, the, but one see of the here... best parts about traveling is being able to taste things and go eat local uh, delicacies or whatever, and just dine out and not even worry about it. Well, here's the thing: I foolishly convinced myself that I would actually lose weight on a vacation. I was like, "It's the hottest time of the year. I'll sweat it up." Blah da da da. When in reality, everything's AC'd. You're always in a place with AC. You're barely walking because it is so hot. And when you're outside, you're in a car with AC. And so it's like you never get actual movement of any worth because you're just trying to get away from the heat. I went back to where I grew up, when I, where I was born. Right. And um, right. so I, I was born in a place called the Gospy City. And... Uh, I had an opportunity. I was talking to my parents, and I said, hey, can I go to the place with the big tower? Because that's what I remembered as a kid. There was just this place with a big tower. I forgot what the place is called. They drove me to it. It starts with a C. Um, but it's in, it, the tower is right in front of the uh, Mayan volcano. And so we went out there. Oh, my word, it was so hot. So we literally jumped out of the van, <laughs> took a quick picture, got back in the van. We were already sweating in the back. It was so incredibly hot um but we also drove by where we used to live and i my father used to be a radio station um manager and my mother was a radio station announcer yeah so actually when i was a little baby my mom used to sometimes have me on her lap as she did her shows and so we lived above the radio station um we lived at this on the second floor of the radio station Uh it's this radio station called dwas well my my brother actually was a really gifted uh, photographer, and he had taken pictures of the Mayan, uh, Mayan volcano erupting. Um, and we actually have those pictures in our home. And he actually became famous, those pictures. They, people sold them. Um, but then, uh, so, I mean, it was the idea of, like, the volcano erupting was common. My My dad said they used to play, you know, Scrabble watching it erupting and and actually one day the one of the 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 people that they play scrabble with is like oh maybe we should go (laughs) it kind of looks like it's getting (laughs) kind of bad over there maybe we should head out or something 
but we never um we never experienced it where it, it got to the point where we were completely in danger but it was so crazy to see the place now because i don't know if it was a, a the eruption or if it was a flood or it was a mix of other things but the the place does not look anything like when i was a kid it's like boarded up it's they actually got flattened it, the second floor became the first floor at one point because really? of what had wow, happened yeah so it's it's kind of wild um to see it now as you know an adult and go that's where i was I I don't remember very much, but I do know I lived there, and it's so crazy. Um, but you know, it's kind of it's kind of fun story to tell people. I used to live in front of a volcano, and it erupted, and well, I felt. I mean, well, yeah, I have slept through a volcano eruption here. actually. Hmm. Yeah. Well, as long as it doesn't happen here, uh, I'm good because the one we have here is too big. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Not the one. That would one be crazy. Is it, isn't it? Isn't it? Is isn't it? Um, dead. I mean, not dead, but like. Well, I guess it is still active, but. It, uh, Rainier is considered inactive, not dormant. Well, so neither is now. Mount Saint Helens. No. Okay, you know what? That's who. That's what I was thinking of. Mount Saint Helens. That but one is not dormant either. <laughs> that one is very. That's. Active. Great. Well. I don't want that to be happening over here either. I was alive but anyways, when, it, when it erupted as well. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Well, I will say this. We have about an hour show, so too, we can't, can't rabbit trail too much because there is a whole <laughs> new class that got drafted. Um, you know, it's so funny. I, as, as Seahawks fans, I mean, we know how this is going to go in the sense of the first round. But every single time, we're still, well, maybe you're not, but me and the rest of the Seahawks fans are always like, come on, another trade. And it's not because we don't expect it, and it's not because we don't respect it. It's just because we want to see them pick someone. Just like, but, you know, you think about it, New England didn't pick until whenever, and so did the Rams. They didn't pick until whenever. So it's not like there were other weren't other fan bases that were were not waiting, but at least they knew that they had to wait. But when you feel like you're about to, you know, make a pick and then they trade and then they trade again and then they trade again, you're like, oh, gosh. But you said you loved it. So please okay, tell us of, why you loved all, the first day. Okay, let, first of all, let me let me just backtrack a little bit and tell you how much I enjoyed Thursday night. Uh, I was fortunate because of friends like uh, Mommy Unit and oh, actually Eileen as well. They, uh, she, and actually uh, uh, another guy I know named Kirk. Kirk uh, and Garrett both gave me. I had plenty of tickets to go Thursday night, so I drove up there right after work. Uh, I've never been on I five and had a, a clearer sail north to. Uh, get there but I just I I got up there before everything started got checked into uh, uh, they did it at the Wamu Theater this year and it was hosted by uh, Brock and Salk but you know it was a really nice event they had everything laid out you know uh, the touchdown city was 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 cleaned up and all the all the events were put together and food was available it was a real first-class uh, show put on by the Seahawks. Brock and Sock were on a desk up on front of the video screens were up, and, you know, we kind of just got together and started watching. I was up there with Hoa. I uh, also met up with Aileen. Aileen, excuse me. And uh, met a few other people that I know through Twitter during the day. But going to the draft, watching, okay, at 26, they – Brock and Sock prepared the crowd. They were all right. We're gonna go to New. Uh, we're gonna go to Philadelphia. Uh, the 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 camera's gonna turn on. We need everyone to bunch up in front of this camera. And you know they were staging the event, making it look like you know there's unbelievable excitement here in Seattle. And so they had all the people come to the come to the camera and get all excited and you know yell Seahawks or whatever. <laughs> 
And as I'm looking at the screen, the ticker at the top of the screen starts, you know, it usually says, okay, this team selected so-and-so last year. They had a record of this and that, lost in the playoffs to so-and-so. So they put up information about the team prior to the selection. As I'm watching the selection wait and the ticker go down from five minutes, I start seeing that it says lost in Super Bowl L1 uh, when they had a 25-point lead. And I'm like, wait a minute. These tidbits are not about the Seahawks. We didn't lose to the Patriots in L1. That's a different Super Bowl. And obviously, immediately, I really, before it's even announced, I realized that they had traded back from 26 to 31 with Atlanta like they told you they were going to do four days ago. And the crowd oh, lost their mind. Yes. This was leaked four days before Thursday. That, uh, or, I don't know, it, it was leaked before by, I believe, Tony Pauline that uh, the Seahawks and the Falcons already had pretty much worked out compensation for a trade back from 26 to 31. I believe that it was originally leaked that they were only going to get a fourth rounder. So I was like, oh, well, you know, that's kind of, I don't know if that's enough, but I, I kind of wanted more, but I I expected, first of all, a trade back. So <laughs> there were so many people that just lost their mind at that point. And I'm like, <laughs> relax, relax, relax. They're still choosing in the first round, maybe, because, <laughs> of course, I enjoy this. Um yeah, there was one guy that just, I think he left. He's like, I'm angry. This makes me mad. I'm leaving. They never select anyone. Poor Russell's going to get beat up again. And I'm like, relax, dude. They're uh, they're picking in five more picks. They're going to get somebody. Don't worry. So then when they, <laughs> they did it again at 31. Okay, so the crowd pushed up and lined up in front of the camera to go crazy again. And I'm sitting there, and I'm tweeting at the same time. And I, you know, just, to, just to rub my own back, pat my own back, say, yay, 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 me, I tweeted 30 seconds before it happened. I was like, come on, San Francisco, pull the trade trigger. And I tweeted it out. Because I had looked at the board and saw that there was, because Cleveland moved in front of us, it wasn't going to be Cleveland because Chicago had traded away all their draft ammunition. It wasn't going to be Chicago. I looked up and I saw San Francisco sitting there at pick two in the second round, realizing that if anyone was going to pick and move back up into the first round for somebody, it was probably going to be a division rival. San Francisco, I just didn't think they would actually do it. And then when they, when they picked – Everyone just turned around and left, and they were so mad. They just went home (laughs) pouting, angry. I'm sure that there was quite a bit of, I'm not going to say amateur. For people that aren't that involved and deeply concerned about, uh, I'm sure that everyone wanted, uh, just pick somebody in the first round. They're so much better. But for me, I looked, and I, I see that we walked away from two positions and came away with three extra draft picks in, in the draft itself. And I honestly don't believe they lost anybody on the first day that they wanted. Um, I'm sure in your heart, you probably felt offensive line, correct? I saw that you, I saw that you had like your eye on like two players in the first round. Well, you know what, honestly, I haven't been following um, as closely as I have in years past. Obviously, right. I was in the Philippines. Um, but that was just – I just threw those names out simply because people kept saying it in the groups I, I was in. So I hadn't, you know, I hadn't researched them myself and had any emotional ties to them. But here's the thing. Uh, in the groups that I was in, everybody's losing their minds over the fact that, you know, we need help in the offensive line. And there's there's this individual that just, you know – well, by this point, we had already gotten, how do you say his name? The guy 
who was in the offensive the line, who was, a, who was not not well, the the only guy that they got for the offensive line that I know of. Was there another guy that they got from the offensive line? Okay, I think they only okay, got this, defensive that's day stuff. Two. I thought we were still talking day one. Yes, yes, but, yes. I skipped over that because there was nothing to talk about for okay. me. <laughs> I, because I know a day lot one. of a lot of people, a lot of people wanted them to select either Kevin King or Cam Robinson, Ryan Ramchick, Garrett Bowles. But Garrett Bowles was already gone. You already had saw the Lion King moment with Garrett Bowles. Um, so and people were. And I myself, I really loved Forrest Lamp. I thought Forrest Lamp was the best uh, offensive lineman in this draft. But, you know, to slide back that day, I enjoyed myself. I went to the draft party for two, two and a half hours or whatever, and they didn't pick anybody. And I went home happy. I was giddy. I was walking down the street going, this is exactly what we needed to do because I don't think that any of the people left on that board were really, you know, first of all, they got three extra picks. Second of all, they probably saved over $2.5 million in cap space. I think that's right what there. it comes down to. I think it that's what it comes, comes down, down to. to that. Draft picks and money. We don't have I, I, any I, player that's already, as a second rounder, They players come in as a second and third rounder and they make more money than some of the people that are already on your team. But as a first-rounder, they make more money than some of the real seasoned veterans that are on your team. So, you know, exactly. dealing no, with I that mean, issue I, is also a part of the integration process. I hear you. And one person that was complaining about how things were chosen, um, and he said, well, look at Cleveland. I'm like, uh, really? We're going to look at Cleveland? But, mind you, I well, do like Cleveland what Cleveland ended up choosing you – know? I mean, in the sense of I do, I understand what he was trying to say. The Cleveland chose really good players to, to for their team. But to say, look at Cleveland, I'm like, yeah, let's look at Cleveland. They haven't had a winning season except for 2002 and 2007. You, you if you cripple your 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 money and and put it only into certain players already from the get-go, I mean, and who haven't yet had a chance to prove themselves on a professional level, I mean, which is what ends up happening if you get a first-rounder. I think that's, I mean, I think that's why, I mean, obviously we, we got, what, Ifedi, I think, last year, last season um, yes, in the first did. round. But, but we so, selected I mean, it's not like after trading back. Yeah, so it's not as if, they're opposed to it if they really believe enough in somebody or want somebody enough, but in the sense of getting them in the first round. But there's there's other factors. I mean, we we have a cap in football that is, doesn't exist in baseball. And so that has to t- be taken into consideration. But what I will say about this is um, when when one of the individuals is complaining – you know, here I am. I talked about offensive line too, but I say that every year um, because I right. love Russell and I want sure. him to be protected. But sometimes sure. people go crazy and say things like, "All eight of them have." I mean, we need we need one more, or all. Eight, I mean, what did this person say? We need eight more, or something like that. Because the, uh, the one guy, Pochick or whatever Pochick, or um, got chosen. Even Pochick. <laughs> Yeah, and, we'll, we'll um, get into the second round, but okay, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and and so they wanted uh, they wanted every individual on the offensive line to be replaced. I'm like, seriously, that's part of our problem. We've never had a consistent O line. I mean, I'd rather that we just figure out the ones that had issues, kind of grow them, or have veterans help them or be replaced by some veterans at the moment or while they're getting cultivated, their talent gets cultivated. But just to have some sort of consistency, I don't think it's removing every single one. I said when it comes down to it, whether we realize it or not, it's partly because of Russell being injured and Russell not being able to uh, compensate visually 
for how poorly that the offensive line is doing. He was able to do that in previous years. The offensive line could be struggling, but because of Russell's mobility, people didn't even notice. But this year, you know, I said, I mean, this past year, I said, if you really even look at just basic numbers, which is never going to tell the full story, but at least it says something, the reality is this was the second least amount of sacks that Russell had in his whole career in Seattle, and it was the least amount of percentage-wise sacks So last season. So, I mean, I feel like there is some hope there, perhaps. I mean, he was sacked See, the most when we went to the Super Bowl. So, and not exactly to say that right. I want that. You're exactly right, because last year, as bad as people perceive it to be, the offensive line was better. The problem was the quarterback was not as effective as he was the year before or the year before that at accounting for one extra guy or making that one person miss. Due to injury, he was not as effective and as evasive as he had been prior. But yet the blame goes to the offensive line, which actually, as bad as it was, improved on performance of previous years. So people don't see it. And and to go in and, okay, they complain enough about offensive line, but if your desire is to replace five guys and go with five rookies, you just don't get it. First of all, this has touted as one of the worst draft classes in the last five, ten years for offensive linemen altogether. If you look at how the how the uh, draft played out, there were two offensive linemen taken in the first round. That's it. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And they there was zero offensive linemen taken in the top ten maybe even in the top 15. I'm not sure, can't recall exactly perfectly where Garrett Bowles was selected. But Garrett Bowles and Brian Ramchek were the only two offensive linemen out of 32 selections. That tells you a lot about the, uh, the, the level that the NFL viewed this class this year. So, you know, people want what they want. It doesn't matter what the Seattle Seahawks select. Fans are going to be un- dissatisfied. I love it. They're interested. They're they're vested. They care, you know, and we can all have that conversation. But let's. It's time now to stop complaining about what didn't happen, and let's concentrate on the young men that are in our room. And man, are they some neat dudes. There's a lot of really great players, but even more so, there's some really cool stories that go behind the names of these young men that they've selected. Uh, you know, it seems like every year the Seahawks not only find good players, but they find good players that have great stories. The narrative behind some of these players, each one of them, whether negative a little or just mind-blowing uh, perseverance to get where they are today, um, there's some really great stories. Well, I mean, I think, well, all teams do this, but I think Seattle's known for doing it. That backstory is important for them. The the per, the, uh, the ability to persevere, the kind of uh, character these men possess. I mean, that is something that is important to them uh, because there is more that happens uh, than just your natural physical ability. There has to be sure. a me- mental toughness to you, which is really um, I I stumbled across because of the group that I'm in and for us. For Seahawks fans, I stumbled across a link, and I gave you a link um, in regards to Malik McDowell. And there, there was an individual that was doing a scouting report. Just, a, just he, he doesn't sound like he's necessary. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be someone who is an official scout of any sort. But he gives really good insight. I liked him, and he, uh, he, he shared some of his thoughts on Malik McDowell that made me really excited for why they chose him. Um, and the Can potential you, that he has. I, I didn't get a chance to look real quick, but who was the uh, author of the scouting report? Um, I can't remember. It was like 
maybe a guy named Brett Nolman or something like that. I'm I'm not sure. Okay. His last name started with a K. But anyways. Okay. What I really liked about him is when he the first line or so that he says about him is this is the best guy in the draft only if this. And he right. he said this is he 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 said basically it's so hard to uh, I, I mean uh, the best guy in his position in the draft. Um, and he said, uh, but there's just other factors that might be hard to peg him there. And these are the things that he needs to work on in order, but he has the potential to be this and he just needs to be, he goes in the right locker room and he needs to right. be in, exactly. um, he said, aside from being, needing to be in the right locker room, he needs to have the right coach that will equip him with the ability to expand his, repertoire of moves that he needs to have in order to not sure. be so predictable in the things that he does. But the excitement this guy had over the potential that this person has if he's under the right tutelage. And I'm like, dude, the Seahawks are definitely the right place then for this guy. Because another thing that he said is he, this guy was the, the main honcho in his, in his school. The, he, basically right. everything revolved around him. And he said, and you could see that he was used to championship-style teams, that when he didn't have that support, that his motivation started to wane. And his, he didn't push through as much. And he can't do that. He needs to be able to play to the last whistle kind of thing. And so he says, so this guy needs a place with veteran presence, People that will yeah. keep him motivated, that will continue to push someone, him, that he won't feel alone. Someone say that, like um, Michael Bennett, who's a mm-hmm. undrafted free agent and has zero time for an entitled first or second round pick that's trying to take his job. He's going to push that guy. You know, he, he's going to have zero tolerance for entitlement or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that Cliff. And, Michael will push push him to be a better player. Coaching staff. And, and well. I will tell you this, as this guy was going on and on about what this kid needs in order to excel and become probably one of the best, he he, he says give this kid about 2 years he's going to be a pro bowler if he's in the right system and the right people sure. are investing in him. Uh, and what I got so excited about listening to him was he, he, he had suggested Carolina, which to me I was like, what? But, but for me, when he was describing what kind of locker room he needed and what kind of backing he needed and all these th- things, I was thinking, that's Seattle. I'm sorry. I know you I'm a Seattle blocks, fan, but right? I, that sounds like Seattle to me of what he right. needs, and I'm glad he landed here. So even though I was surprised but not surprised because it's – I'm not surprised because I know – I've watched enough of these things to not be surprised. But still, I was like, man, no offensive line, huh? But then I was just like, whatever. I know that they know what they're doing. The rest, and then they got an offensive line guy in in the next one. And then after that, all of the picks they had was kind of where I was expecting them to go and needed us to go, uh, needed the team to go. So I wasn't mad at the rest of the the draft because I – I think that where they're going is exactly where we need to go. And obviously they're not going to choose things. That's not going to be for the betterment of the future of the Seattle Seahawks. But what were we going to say? Okay. Well, I was just going to touch. They have been on Malik McDowell. Yes. There, there were questions of motor on a team play for Michigan state and a team that was losing and was, you know, judged to be taking plays off. But they have been looking for four years for a guy of his build, six foot six, two hundred ninety-five pounds. Uh, basically, someone about the size of Calais, uh, built the way that uh, Calais is, and pushes the interior middle pocket like Calais does. If they can bring some kind of performance that emulates what Campbell gave the Cardinals for years it's just a great pick there were maybe four defensive linemen that could be considered at his level that went in the first round 
there were none after him that had his attributes and his built-in ability. There was a huge drop-off from him to the next guy. For offensive linemen, the drop-off from Forrest Lamp to Ethan Posick was nowhere near the drastic measure. This was a draft cliff, cliff, if you will, at defensive line. After McDowell, there was a there may have been edge rushers, but there wasn't anyone quite as uh, explosive and dynamic on the defensive line left. I, I, th- I think in the in the long run we'll look back and say this is a really good pick. Um, you know, and you can see. All you have to do is look at the group of men that they they uh, they drafted. That uh, you know, the the writing is on the wall to to getting younger. They, I mean, they just brought in eleven young men to try and fit into this system. So they're trying to continue and and build that continuity moving forward. Um, dynamic ability and flexibility are everything to the Seahawks. So as we go through and we talk about these people down the road or that 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 were drafted this year, um, flexibility is one of the biggest things that comes to mind. Ethan Posit is an exact example of all of that. Uh, played every position on the offensive line. So basically, if he added a second rounder, you'd hope he'd become a starter. Okay? But he doesn't necessarily have to be a starter tomorrow but he already is a depth person for every position on the Seahawks line except probably left tackle he's a center he's a guard and he's played right tackle I would not and and Jared Stanger my cousin uh, has already put out the notion that he's he played at right tackle a little bit at LSU, and it looks like the Seahawks are going to give him the first crack at right tackle. So between him and Effetti, whichever one works out, one will be the uh, the right guard, the one will be the right tackle. So whichever way it shakes out, I think we got better on the right side right there. Posich is a really good player, but he's a huge man for a center I mean, he's even taller than Justin Britt, so he's going to be a really great fit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I uh, didn't. I don't know much about any of the guys that they picked, except sure. I was able to watch um, Malik McDowell's uh, scouting report from that one guy, and that just made me excited. Right, sure. Um, but, but yeah, I I was glad that they chose at least one new individual for the offensive line um that i was excited that he i mean i'm always excited when they're actually offensive line people uh (laughs) that that doesn't need to be converted doesn't need to be right changed but here's here's the thing uh what i love about the seattle seahawks is they do believe in talent talent development even if sometimes i get irked by the need to get uh, the need to to convert some players, but if they, they they have a vision at least, they know what they're going after. It's better than not having a vision and not knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And sometimes that's what I see in some some players and uh, I mean some teams. And that's why don't, that's the only concern I always have of why people jokingly say that people go to Cleveland for their careers to die. Um, it's not because Cleveland doesn't have the potential to be a great team, but it's because whoever is, uh, unless this changes in their in their in their organization, is going to continue to repeat itself. They're not patient enough, and they're not they don't have a big enough vision of the reasons why they're doing what they're doing. And I'm hoping that because they made such good choices this season, that it's. Uh, it's an in, there's an intentionality behind what they're doing and that they're going to be more patient to have the actual results that they want. But you can't walk, get your, the results you want and continue to have such upheaval over and over again. And so I'm so thankful that the Seattle Seahawks have a very core vision and that they are not like fans. Fans are very much like the Cleveland Browns uh, 
front office in the sense of being run by our emotions and being being moved by the moment um, and not letting things be patient enough to bring about the kind of results we want. If if the Seattle Seahawks listened to fans, we would be in dire trouble, I think. It's, it's just so much emotion. <laughs> yeah, Russell Wilson wouldn't be our quarterback if, he, if we listened yeah, to fans. because everybody's like, oh, we Russell want to protect Russell. Russell Wilson would not even yet, be the quarterback. Yeah. It's, it's this, oh, hey, we want to protect to fans, Russell. We that drafted, replaced a, a, a what? Go ahead. We would have drafted Andy Dalton. We would have drafted <laughs> Mark Sanchez. We would have drafted. Oh, my word. You know, set, maybe even Blaine Gabbard. Um, we would have been fine with Matt Flynn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Matt Flynn would have started that whole year if we listened to <laughs> the whims of the fan base. But, you know, we, we're limited on time today, but we need to continue uh, looking forward to the rest of this class. I know that you – I just want to touch real quick on each guy um, – and some of the stories behind them. So you in tell. Round, I will continue. sit and le- I will sit and learn from you. So I'm going to mute okay, myself well, as I listen to you speak. No, 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 no. I'm sure there's be something uh, poignant you can add. But in the third round, they came back and started to address what most people think was one of the biggest uh, weaknesses towards the end of the season. We saw that there was a problem especially after injuries in the secondary, with injuries to the safeties, with injuries to the cornerback. So it needed to, depth needed to be addressed. And now looking at the way Shed is recovering and the team is moving forward, not only is depth an issue, our right side starter is an issue. And and I don't even want to talk about, you know, the, the Sherman thing, the team will have to figure out how to, come back together and figure it out. Um, It could be worse this year. We don't know. But in the round three, they went and they got a young man named Shaquille Griffin out of the University of Central Florida. Basically, the same makeup uh, size-wise as Russell. Excuse me, Richard. So Shaquille, um, the interesting story with him is Shaquille is a twin. And he has a, um, is it? I guess I guess his brother is a little behind in college or a year behind him. So when he went to University of Central Florida, he went there only because he was promised by them that his brother would also be offered a chance to play for them. He didn't want to go play anywhere else but with his brother at the University of Central Florida. But he's Six foot, 194 pounds, a little over six foot. So almost, maybe a little smaller than Richard, but the same basic makeup. As a young man in Florida, he's already created his own. uh, He sponsors a local uh, track team in his area, and he provides the coaching and the support and even the financial backing for a track team to help mentor young kids in his area already. His brother, um, I don't know exactly why, his brother played for the University of Central Florida, and he only has one hand. The, I, can't, I can't remember which hand it is, but he got 11 sacks last year. Play, he plays defensive end for Central Florida. And he got like 11 sacks last year as a one-handed player. So he's really a big family guy, but also a huge um, proponent of of giving back to the community and being a voice for young kids in his area for positivity. And I'm telling you, when you listen to him, this is a problem I had on Saturday was listening to the the media calls from each and every player. I was like, oh, that's my new favorite player. Then the next guy (laughs) would call in. I'm like, oh. Well, I kind of like this guy too, and so it. I mean, all all of Saturday or day two, excuse me, Friday. I was really impressed with people that they brought in on day two. I was really excited about the uh, the talent the team was bringing in. 
In round three, they came back and they picked another safety, a safety from Michigan named Delano Hill. I think is is pronouncing it pronouncing it correctly. I think it's Delano. But uh, I just look over uh, biggest hitter, uh, best tackler in the draft at any kind of uh, secondary position. Best tackler. Played several years at the University of Michigan, coached by our friend, Mr. Harbaugh. So this was was a theme. We selected two players from Coach Harbaugh's team on Friday itself. But Delano is just a really good ball player, Um, uh, but also capable and flexible enough to play several positions. Uh, Could possibly be a free safety, but – fits more in the Cam Chancellor type role, but could also probably, and they'll probably try, flex into a nickel, a big nickel, maybe against a tight end or something like that. He's going to be a really exciting player, but one thing about him is fundamentally he's just not going to make a lot of mistakes. He's going to be a great tackler, going to be a great special teamer. Okay, some of these guys right now, they're not ready to take over, but the writing's on the wall, and you could read whatever the writing says, and people got mad at me yesterday for suggesting this, but the writing's on the wall on who these players are going to replace in the future. If they work out, there are several contracts of older, more expensive players that could possibly be replaced by third-round draft picks at a much cheaper level. I'm not saying this year. I'm not saying any anybody, any fan favorite is getting cut this year. But if you look, you can see the future. I, do you have any comment about that? Uh, no, I, I do think that that is what it's made for. And I, one of the things that is hard as a fan, obviously, is to get emotionally attached to the players. But the reality is we're also emotionally attached to winning. And, and the reality is in order to continually have – a chance yeah, to win as to an organization, you have which to is more important, plan for uh, yeah. franchise loyalty or winning. Well, and in, in, sometimes in the, end the me, hard part is you want both. <laughs> but, yeah, you can't always have cake, you know. You can't always have cake and eat it on Sunday. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, But I will forward, say this. Oh, wait, no, okay, let ahead. me say something else real quick. Is the fact uh-huh. that uh, with, with that said, um, I, do, I do like these decisions. Um, obviously, I think the LOB, the original OG, of the, the, the OG of the LOB, um, is here at least for one or two more years for sure. Um, well, not Which one, in your sure. opinion, is the OG? Um, well, the one side doesn't have one, but I would say it's Richard Sherman, uh, Cam Chancellor, and Earl Thomas. Um, oh, I mean, you're I, I them could all they all together. Oh, together, yeah. Okay, all right. I mean, I, you can't you have think... the LOB and just choose one person. That doesn't work. You They're a group. The They're a unit. All right. Okay. Okay. The, so you the original gang. You... Okay. All right. So you want. You think oh, so? Well, like as, I said, as, like Richard Sherman had tweeted out that picture. That yeah, the, the Richard right. Sherman had a picture, right? And he just said, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And it's a picture of the three of them. And so that is a sign to the fans that whatever the issues were or this, all this talk of possible trades, this somehow it sounds like, at least for now, they're staying together and they're going to be here. Maybe it's just for this year. Maybe it's going to be for another two years. But whatever the case may be, this organization is going to do its best to do that balancing act of respecting what these guys have done and giving them an opportunity to move on if that's what they want. In the same way, I'm happy for Lynch. Obviously, I, him fulfilling a childhood you know, dream, more power to him. If he went to another team – I would have more of an issue. But because he's going to Oakland, I have no problems with that. That's a childhood dream. I think that this organization has always respected their players and what the players wanted to do and where they want to go. But also these players have respected the fact that this is a business and they're going to choose what is best for this organization. And as a team, 
or as a fan base, I can understand us getting upset when people leave. But we also have to understand that this is about longevity. The Patriots have existed in high level of performance for a reason, and that's because they don't get too emotionally attached, except maybe to Tom Brady. But aside from that, everybody else is dispensable. Um, but even but even Tom Brady will get dispensable at some point. You know what I mean? Yep. You have to have that, that mindset. You have to have what's next in your mind without being disrespectful to what was then, you know? But sure. anyways, yes. next next group, what's day All three? All right, so day three. No, day, this is still day two. Still day Are two. Are we still and, day two? Uh, yes, we're still day two, and the Seattle Seahawks uh, went and, and brought in a, a young man for the defensive line. His name is Nazir, Nazir Jones from North Carolina. Now, the story behind Nazir is as a – when he was a teenager – he woke up, and one night he woke up and he was paralyzed and couldn't move. Um, he was diagnosed with an uncommon disease called the complex regional pain syndrome. So at the size, of, now I don't know exact size he was at, at 16 or 17, he lost, uh, due to this illness, he lost probably um, 40, 50 pounds and before uh, – before he got healthy again, but then, um, you know, if you listen to the, if you listen to the call from him, um, you can tell already that the, the young man has overcome a lot of things. But in addition to that, he's very family oriented, uh, very genuine, uh, hungry young man that's ready to play. So, uh, his size. And his ability to play is very similar to what the Seahawks uh, got from Tony McDaniel in the past. Uh, he's very much a run stopper, uh, a big, strong guy. So you add him into the mix with uh, Jaron Reed uh, and Tyba Rubin. Very good run stopper. He's uh, He's a big man, and he's very hard to move. He's going to be a rotational depth player. The entire defensive line that we have has has gotten much younger and much better just with the two guys that are added. With Malik McDowell and Nazar Jones, they they have the ability, once again, they put together traits to accomplish what they want on uh, different downs, whether it be a run down or a pass down. They continue to not look or be unable to find guys that have all of that in one package but they design a rotation that makes it effective. So if you get a chance to check out Nazar's story, it's very, very interesting. So we're still in day two, and I'm trying to pick up the pace because I realize we're running out of time. But the last selection of day two, another incredibly amazing story, is Amara Amara Darbo out of Michigan, wide receiver. Um, Let me see his size real quick. Um, but Amaro was born in Sierra Leone in uh, Africa. And during, you know, uh, basically, I, I'm not sure whether it's a civil war or war itself, um, he, was, he, uh, he lost his parents in the country of Sierra Leone in the middle of a war, and he ended up, they ended up surviving, but he survived basically growing up in a war-torn country, comes to America, and then he's in a – I think he was uh, – he emigrated to America, and then he was – he he's in a huge family. He has 13 um, brothers and sisters. Now, I don't know whether they're adopted or actually 13 brothers and sisters from the mother and father that passed away. But this young man overcame coming from a war-torn country, coming to the United States of America as an immigrant, which is, you know, much more difficult to do nowadays, and then becoming a, a Division One football player, learning a game that he didn't grow up with, uh, playing at Michigan, and then being selected by the Seattle Seahawks. So the once again, the call from the Seattle media to him is so interesting to hear the gratefulness uh, in his voice and 
and I haven't even got to the the most incredible telephone call of the day or the next day because after they selected Amara Darbo is going you know is going to push Paul Richardson he's going to push Jermaine Curse he may even push um Tyler Lockett a little but primarily I think that he will push behind Okay, I love Jermaine Curse, but he is going to have the biggest threat to his tenure. I believe he survives this year, but I I believe next year they will move on from Jermaine. You can quote me, whatever, but I think he will push him. He's going to be very interesting to watch, very fluid, great hands, physical, um, a great pass catcher. Um, Amara Darbo is going to become a lot of people's uh, under underdog favorite in training camp, if you will. And, and, of course, the people that don't like Jermaine are going to immediately gravitate to Darbo and say this is the guy that fi- finally is going to get uh, push Jermaine out the building. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but Darbo's going to have a long career here in Seattle. I think he's a really well, good player. Well, We'll see, though, if he's pushed out or he's pushed or if he's just pushed to actually perform yeah, well, either the way, level that Jermaine Kurz can, can, has the potential to yeah, do. I, we actually, see what he can exactly do. Right. It's just that he's not consistent enough in doing it. I think that Jermaine's exactly biggest right. rival is his mind. He second yep. guesses himself. He falls apart. He needs to not do that. He's capable. I think... I think He's capable. Yeah. Well, in, in but Jermaine it makes case, me mad just, because he's capable of being more consistent than he has been. But stop living up it. to the comment section and live yeah. up to what your body really can do. Exactly. Exactly. But we're going to have to bang, bang, bang through day three. And so day three, there's a lot <laughs> can of Can I just say one quick thing before I let you bang, bang, sure. bang through all of them? I love Thompson's mm-hmm. call. I Okay. Yeah. I love that. I love that he broke down. But that's my only comment on that guy. It made me fall in love with him just because I knew how much it meant to him. So I anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I don't know. I, I hope it's not breaking up on the recording. But you broke up a little bit there. But you're right. That Tedrick Thompson call made me tear up. He was so overwhelmed when. Uh, when uh, John and Pete talked to him, he could barely talk. Um, I, I love that passion. I love how much it meant to him. More than anything, I think he became, you know, he became my underdog uh, favorite, uh, maybe right through that call. But after the call, you look at the way that they're planning to play him. I think that. Tedrick Thompson is going to be the depth behind Earl. So we finally drafted a guy and actually used draft capital on a guy that they think can not necessarily be Earl, but at least be the depth behind Earl. The days of Stephen Terrell are over. Not that Stephen Terrell was a bad guy or he just the drop-off from Earl to Stephen Terrell was horrible, and it was immediately recognized and taken advantage by other teams at the end of the season last year. So moving on, here they go back to back. So we've already drafted two safeties, and now they came right back and drafted a third safety. They drafted a young man, a young man named Mike Tyson. Uh, so they, you know, there's gonna be thousands of of references to Iron Mike, and but uh-huh. um, the reality of it is, is they're looking to test to see if he can play as a boundary corner. Actually, it looks like they're they're going to try him at boundary corner. They may try him at nickel corner, and if anything doesn't work out, they'll try they'll bring him back in as a safety. So they're going to test to see what the young man can do. 
Um, in addition to that, great special teams player. Tedrick Thompson, great special teams player. Amara Darbo, great special teams player. Del- Delano Hill, Shaquille Griffin, great special teams players. If you if you notice a theme in the day two and three selections, is versatility, flexibility, and the ability to play teams. They were unsatisfied with the performance of special teams last year, and they are well, making well, moves they should to be. address it. It's horrible. Right. I mean, it shouldn't have been no, but it was not what now, they could have been. A, a quick tidbit, because I know we only got like five minutes left, but if you look at draft picks and if you look at undrafted free agents, there's a couple I'd really like to talk about too, but no kicker. So they might bring in a kicker, local tryout guy, but it looks like no kicker. So it appears like it's Blair Welsh's job. Uh, I don't see another punter either. So it appears that John, I, they may bring in one guy for competition during whatever. And and this class is, and everything is, all the moves are not done. So, but uh, uh, the next yeah. three guys, the last three guys that they drafted, day three, was Justin Sr. Um, Justin Sr. is a big a big guy out of Mississippi State. He's a Canadian from Montreal uh, who ended up getting coming to the States and playing playing uh, football uh, in Mississippi. Um, he had a better sophomore year than a senior year, according to John Schneider. So there's lots of work for him to do. Out of all the picks that were picked yesterday, I think the – the uphill climb for this player is probably the steepest. Um, the upside, I, the attributes and testing-wise, an average testing. And but I mean, he has a body that's that's phys- uh, that fits, but the performance on tape is not really there. It's one of the most underwhelming picks for me, and I'm sure that Justin Senior is a great young man. Uh, but this one seems like a throwaway to me, and I, you know, and the last. Wouldn't it days, be funny if he proved you wrong? Yes, it'd be awesome. That's the best thing about talking about this too, and the best thing about it is it's is it's recorded for record on digital format, and I told you so's. Uh, or I'm gonna put this on I told you so's, even though I have no particular in, information on right, my side. You, just to, you can just champion blah, blah, blah. Justin. I, I I don't even have enough time to you to tell you, but let me just say this real quick. The Indianapolis Colts drafted a lot of guys I loved. <laughs> they got some of my favorite players. That oh, I, I see I, how you wanted I, to throw that back at me. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the last two guys selected in the draft were David Moore uh, out of Eastern Cent uh, something. Uh, Oklahoma, like ECOK, something like that. Uh, so he's a, he, I guess, someone that they really scouted quite a bit. So he's a physical, um, 220 pound, six foot, 220 pound wide receiver. Uh, very good at uh, quick routes like slants, um, a run after catch guy but a physical, really good catcher of the ball. Played at a lower level of competition, so we never know. Yeah, He's going to be one of those guys that, you know, he'll be a training camp underdog for sure, and a lot of people will love him. And the last guy selected was a running back named Chris Carson, um, I believe at a, I think, UTEP. I'm not sure. Um, no, maybe not UTEP. I, I got the – no, Oklahoma State, excuse me. So a big physical runner. Uh, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of speed and maneuver, but but goal line type guy, uh, physical short yardage uh, running back. But he's a good player. Uh, uh, Charles Davis got really excited about this pick at the last minute on the draft. So you know, I, I realize we're running out of time. So I'm going to throw it back to you to close us out. Well, I was going to just say, good job, Joe. You just powered through all that. <laughs> And I'm I hoping try, that people that uh, <laughs> I'm hoping all the people that listened in learned something uh, from Joe. Uh, but we'll try to 
get another show going next week for you guys. Um, yeah, uh, you hopefully we can expound it on a little bit more. The, the debacle but, that is the Mariners. All right. Let's end on that note. <laughs> See you guys next week. <laughs> all right.